It is not the bad things, the great evil things that keep God's people from him. It is usually the good things, the necessary things. Ironically, we try to paint our enemy as someone who would cause a great, awful battle for us. He's much more subtle than that. He uses the stuff of everyday life to keep us from the greatest things of life. Jesus once taught us this in a parable. In Luke chapter 14, he gave a scene of the great banquet of heaven. And he said, there was a great man who put on a great supper and he issued the invitations. And in Luke 14, 18, he said, people began to make their excuses. They, one wrote and said, you know, I just bought a piece of land, can't come. Another said, I just bought five oxen, they need my care. Another said, I just got married, can't be there. None of these things were bad things. All of these things were good things. All of these things were necessary things. But these were the things that kept them from the great provision of God. We do not lack the greatness of God because we don't have a hunger. We lack the greatness of God, as John Piper would say, because we have somewhat satisfied that hunger by nibbling from the table of the world. And so there is not the depth of hunger that God put in us. Listen to this. If you don't get anything else out of this morning, listen to this. We will never do what we need until we do without what we think we need. We will never do what we need until we do without what we think we need. Jesus was teaching in the greatest sermon on holiness ever preached, the greatest religious practices ever practiced. And in the sixth chapter, he not only teaches us about prayer, he teaches us about fasting. I don't know how long it's been since most of you have heard a sermon on fasting. They're not very usual these days. But in the beginning of this sermon, in Matthew 5, chapter 1, it says, he, although the multitudes were around, he called the disciples to him and he began to teach them. And in the sixth chapter, verse 16, it says he taught them this. And whenever you fast... Not if, whenever. It was assumed. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Now this is symbolic. Our yearning for popularity is among all our yearnings for the other things of the world that give us temporary satisfaction that give us temporary gratification. 
says, don't do it for that. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. In other words, they've settled for a piece of what they could have. Then it says this, but when you fast, this is to his disciples. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your father who is in secret. You see, it's a relationship thing. It's an intimacy thing. And your father who sees in secret will repay you. It is so important for us to consider and do fasting. It's important for all of us, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm just going to tell you a few reasons why. First of all, we've got to realize, pardon me, that it's very easy given our appetites. And by the way, Piper says, I like this too. Piper says our, our, our destinies are determined by our appetites. And therefore, we ought to learn to hunger for God alone. But you realize God made us with appetites. Appetites are good. He made us to hunger after food, and he fed us the food, the manna. And he, hung, he made us to hunger after relationships. He made us to hunger, to thirst after water. So that we would have some premonition of what it was like to be fully satisfied with the eternal component of what we hunger after partially. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. If you eat of me, you'll never hunger again. Remember, he said, I'm the water of I'm the living water. If you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. So he gave us these little appetites for little things, not so that we could try to be satisfied by them, but so that we would know what it was like to hunger and then be fulfilled and then to be satisfied. Ultimately with him. Remember it says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate. But what we need to do is we need to consider how we have taken these little appetites. And we've tried to make them satisfy us. And they can't. They can't. We've become consumers. It's pure and simple. You go around the world, as I have in the last couple of years, visited a lot of countries. And I can tell you this, what's spreading out of this country is not capitalism, it's consumerism. When people listen to the Christian faith in in foreign lands, it's not because they connect us with having a personal relationship with God. It's because these Americans are rich and they found something that works. And I want a standard of living like they have. It's consumerism. You know, in this country... That in 1980, 67% of our discretionary income, we already owed in debt, in our, in our consumer debt. By last year, 1996, 89% of our discretionary income is already owed in debt. Do you ever figure out, try to figure out, how can I earn this much and have absolutely nothing to spend? It's because we have become such people of appetite, of immediate gratification, depending on our appetite, things we don't think we can wait for, that we are paying the advance of our lives for them. And Jesus said this, you've got to learn to fast. You've got to learn that you can't do what you need to unless you can do without 
what you think you need. It's very important that we understand that that comes, that that consumerism comes from a a satisfaction that dulls our drive toward God. One time a woman or a a minister asked a woman if if, uh, her husband believed in life after death. And the woman's reply was, he doesn't even believe in life after supper. (laughs) There's, There's a point to that. There's a point at which once we're satisfied a little, we just kind of flatten out. We just kind of, we just, there is a sedative effect in food. You know that? This is not just, I'm not just talking with people who are addicted to food and have food addictions. It happens to us all. That's why all of us eat. There's a sedative effect. We use it not to fill us, but to medicate us. When we are tense, what do we do? We eat. When we're happy, what do we do? We eat. When we're depressed, what do we do? We eat. And we turn to food instead of to God. It's that simple. But it doesn't satisfy us. So we eat more. And we eat more often. And many other things we partake of that are appetites. Our entertainment has become an appetite. We'll turn to the television, turn to the radio. When we're nervous, turn to listen to music. Oh, I'll listen to music. That'll calm me down. We turn, to, we turn to drugs. That certainly has a sedative effect. We, we turn to certain relationships, all of which are poor and piecemeal and temporary substitutes for what God meant us to have that would ultimately and deeply satisfy us. So Jesus said, when you, when you fast, when you fast, Be careful you're not fasting according to the world. You know how many people who, when they do fast, do do it for dietary purposes? (laughs) No. When you fast, you do it to the Lord. You see, there has always been, in all time, a practice of fasting. Every culture, every religion has fasting. Some for dietary purposes, but many for religious purposes. Every religion has it. Judaism has their fasting days. Yom Kippur is one of them. Uh, Islam has their fasting month, Ramadan, where they can't eat anything uh, in between sunup and sundown. Then they can eat, but not between sunup and sundown for an entire month. The great uh, Brahmins of the Hindu religion used to go on severe fasts. Buddhism is in itself a fasting from the world uh, so that you might quell the craving for the things of this world. And certainly in the Old Testament, there were fasts. There were fasts. But all of those fasts have one thing in common when they are religiously motivated. And that is to somehow get God to do something. Somehow get God to pay attention to me. Somehow get God to move in a certain way. Now Jesus said this. Your fast is not to be like that. Said in, 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 in Matthew 19, he said, you got new wine. You got a new wineskins here. Because there's a difference here. Fasting is our fleshly way of manipulation. It is no, it is no um, um, surprise that Mahatma Gandhi would turn an entire British empire by the use of fasting. You see, by ancient Manu laws, the way... You shamed a creditor into paying what they owed you 
was by fasting. If somebody owed you money, you would go to their door in front of their house and you would sit in front of their house and eat nothing until all of the, of the sentiment of the community turned against that guy. And it would be so embarrassing to the creditor that they would finally pay you what they owed you. And so Mahatma Gandhi, from that tradition, says if you want to free a country, you do it the same way. And all the world watched this delightful, uh, little peaceful man starve himself to death until, until not to death, but starve himself until the world's sentiments say, well, what's in, in the British Empire? Uh, acquiesced to that. Now watch. That's a very effective method when it comes to man. But you must realize God doesn't owe us anything. He never owes us anything. And therefore, fasting as a tool to manipulate God into visiting us is something of the world. No, Christians don't fast in order to get God to come. Christians fast because God has already come. We fast to pay attention to what we already have. It's not that we first loved, but that God first loved us. God has taken the initiative. And those of you who have asked Jesus Christ to be in your heart, fasting is not a matter of getting God to come. Fasting is a matter of paying attention to the one who already loves you. And you simply aren't dedicating enough of your day to just build that relationship. How many of you had relationships that started with such romance and such gusto that everything you looked at reminded you of that person and you could not wait to be with that person? Many of you experienced that when you first started going with your spouse. Let me ask you honestly, you still got it? What happened? What happened if that's faded? Well, many times nothing bad happened. Just good things happened. You got a job. You got kids. The business of life. All of those things are good. You see, everything in the world is good. It says, it says in Romans eleven twenty six, everything was made by him and through him and to him. It's all good. But even the good things can become a distraction. And the greatest enemy of the best is always the good. The greatest enemy of the best is always the good. And it's very important for us to realize that if we don't do our main job of loving our spouse anymore, it's usually because we've tried just to fulfill the responsibilities of everyday life. And that becomes a practice that not only is drinking out of a fire hydrant. I mean, you can't, you can't do enough in this life to give yourself peace. You realize that? You can never, I hate to be the one to tell you, you can never get all the lists done. You can't. You can never get everything known that you want to know. You can't. Do you realize that information from the time Christ was born, information doubled from the time Christ was born 
uh, until about the, the year 1760. It took 1700 and some years for the information of the world to double the first time. For the information in the world to double a second time, it only took 120 years. For the information in the world to double the third time, it only took 34 years. Until now, all of the information in the world doubles at least twice a year. You can't know it all. It's available to you on the internet, but you can't know it all. What you have to do is you have to decide what's important for me to know. And Vernon in the last service said, God, let us just come to you and focus on you for what we need to know, what our priorities are. It's the same way in relationships. God not only gave us appetites, he gave us romance as kind of a foreshadowing of what it could be with him. There is a, I love a poem. There's a, there's a poem by Sir Henry Wooten. This is a man who lived uh, in about the 16, early 1600s. And he was in love with a woman by the name of Elizabeth of Bohemia. I love that name. Elizabeth of Bohemia. And, and, and every place he looked, it reminded him of her. And everything paled in comparison to her. And one day he, he was thinking of the stars. And he wrote this. You meaner beauties of the night that so poorly satisfy our eyes, more by your number than your light, you common people of the skies, what are you when the moon does rise? You violets that first appear, by your pure purple mantles known, that seem to be the proud virgins of the year and seem to call spring all your own. What are you when the rose is shown? So, when my mistress shall be seen. <laughs> In form and beauty of her mind, by first virtue, then choice, a queen. Tell me if she's not designed the eclipse and glory of her kind. He loved that woman. Not to the exclusion of everything else, but to the point of everything else. Now, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't it be great to love God like that? Wouldn't it be great everywhere you see to be able to say it pales in comparison to God, but it reminds me of God? Wouldn't you love to hunger for God like that? Let me tell you. You've got to fast. You've got to fast. There are too many things in this world that take our attention away from God until we deliberately and with some discipline will restore our priorities. 
Jesus said, and when you fast, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. There has been so much missing from our lives because we have refused to recognize the necessity of going directly to God in a way that he has said. He's given us this attitude in scripture and this practice in scripture. Those of you who do fast with some uh, regularity will know what happens when you fast. You will know, uh, for example, that God doesn't talk to you just, I mean, uh, I, let, me, let me just say before I forget this, fast this week. All right, let me challenge you to do fast this week. Some of you need to fast from food because food occupies your mind all the time. And if you decide, I'm going to fast for a day or two, you will not believe the freedom that you have to pay attention to God because you're not thinking about the next place you're going to eat. I mean, there's incredible freedom there. Some of you don't need to fast from food. You need to fast from the car radio. Some, some, some of you need to fast from television. Some of you need to go without uh, whatever uh, occupies your mind in the most regular basis. Now, let me tell you what will happen. First of all, let me tell you what won't happen right away. As soon as usually, you, as soon as you begin a fast, God doesn't just come to you and say, oh, good. I finally got you alone. I've been wanting to tell you this for three years. <laughs> usually, there's a certain period of, of detox. You know, the stuff has to get out. All of the, all of the cares of the world take, take some time to just kind of go away. And then there's this tremendous sense. And if, if you never get anything other than this, this is worth it. This tremendous sense of just being in the presence of God. Did you, you ever know anybody who's been married 50, 60 years? A couple that's been married 50 or 60 or 70 years. Let me ask you, do they just sit and talk to each other all the time? No, they're just around each other. You know why they don't talk to each other? Because, number one, they already know what each other's going to say. <laughs> They've been together for 60 years, crying out loud. You know, it's like they could have, a con they could have the other side of the conversation themselves. <laughs> but the other reason is just being with each other is enough. When you fast, things happen. God reminds you of relationships you need to repair. Strongholds fall away just out of the practice of fasting. But just being with God is the point. Just caring about God enough to do without the things of the world you thought were so important is enough of the point. You practice romance by doing without. You know that? I can remember, I'll close with this because I know it's getting late, but I, I, I remember uh, when Becky and I were going together <clears throat> and uh, this is when we were engaged and, and she, her, her college was a, an hour away from where I was going to seminary. And I can remember literally every time I got a break, I put 20,000 miles on my car in a period of nine months. I would just, every time I got a break, I was driving up there, even if I could only see her for 20 minutes. I didn't have enough money for food and gas. I bought gas because I wanted to be with her that badly. I wouldn't take five minutes to drive through for a sandwich because it would be five minutes without Beck. 
She spent, her mother would kill her if she ever knew this. She spent all her savings bonds for telephone bills. We could not be with each other. We could not, not stop talking to each other. Do you not think that God would respond to someone who hungered after him that much? Do you not think he would come to you in ways you have never known if we would pursue him with that degree? What would the church in America be like? You know that in 1884, there was one church in South Korea. A hundred years later, there are 30,000 churches in South Korea. That's an average of 300 per year. Why? And why is the Church of America totally lethargic, the church in Europe deader than a doornail, and the church in South Korea growing like crazy? Because they fast and pray. They fast and pray. They do what God taught us to do. Fast. Let's pray. God, continue to teach us to pay attention to you. All of these things you've given us are wonderful. But we can't put them in perspective until we have placed them in a schedule that has a priority and that priority is you and time with you. We can't love them as we ought until we love you as we ought. Teach us to fast as well as pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.